Amen. All righty. Well, hey, let's start off with the bang tonight. Uh, quick question. How many guys love questions, especially late at night when you're trying not to fall asleep during the pastor's sermon? You honest people, you. Uh, that's right. So, but uh, how many guys, uh, that's a quick question. How many guys would like to start your day off like this? Maybe it's right after breakfast, you had your Cheerios or, or a Grumpola bar, or whatever you eat in the morning there. Uh, maybe it started off something like this. Let's take a look. Turn to somebody and say, don't let John Gibson drive you to the airport. Man, I was just wanting to get to the conference. He said, oh, I know a shortcut, Pastor Billy. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But I digress. <laughs> but here's the point in all seriousness. How many guys would love to drive to an earthquake like that? You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't awesome? Something to do on a Saturday afternoon after you get all the shopping done? And... Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. And, and I think the, the reason why is obvious, why none of us would want to drive uh, through that experience, that earthquake, is because earthquakes are scary. In fact, they're very scary. In fact, turn to somebody and say they're very scary, right? Earthquakes are very scary. Okay. Uh, they're fearful, right? Okay. It, I mean, we get that. Okay. And yet here's the irony, and this is kind of the theme of our study that we're going to be uh, plowing through. Most people today, if you look at our world, they're more afraid of an earth shaker instead of the world maker, right? Uh, more people are more concerned with falling in a hole than the one who actually made their soul, okay? And the Bible's very clear. Here's the reason why. You know why our world's so messed up, okay, and it's so obtuse in the way it's getting? It's because there is no fear of God before people's eyes. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, okay? Their fear, not all fear is bad, we're going to see that, but their fear is misplaced, okay? They have no fear of God, Okay, let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 3. If you find Romans, what do you do? Go to chapter 3. That's right, Tom, you're on the ball. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 8. And uh, let's take a look at why in the world is our world so messed up? Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And uh, let's take a look at what it says there. Paul says this, as it is written. Okay, in other words, this is coming from God. There is, everybody's righteous because God loves everybody. And there's not, 
I'm sorry, wrong translation. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've become together worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And in fact, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know why god why is our world so messed up why are people so evil why is this so why are we doing this to each other why because there is no fear of god before their eyes now this is a neat topic because there's a lot of people that say that you and i and nobody should ever fear god paul says it's because of this lack of fear of god as to why people are acting so evil god watches everything he sees everything Okay, and knowing that can curb your behavior, okay? But not only that, this lack of fear of God is not just corrupting our here and now. This lack of fear of God that people don't have with God is going to corrupt, if you will, their hereafter. I didn't say that Jesus did. Listen to what he says. You know, people say, oh, you should never fear God. I don't know. You might want to listen to Jesus. He says something else. Uh, Luke 12, uh, verse 4 through 5 says this, Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Jesus speaking, but I'll tell you whom you should what? Fear, you fear him, God, who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Jesus speaking, yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus said that, okay? So according to Jesus, he says we need to fear God because God ultimately has the power to send us straight into where? Heaven or straight into hell, okay? And it's right there, black and white. But again, here's the problem. People scoff at this and they say, oh, come on. God wouldn't send anybody to hell, right? My, my God's a God of love, and he would, excuse me? Okay, that's not what the scripture says, okay? And the reality is this, people can disbelieve in hell all they want. It's not gonna change a thing. Hell's still there, and you're still going. Unless you fear for the judgment of your sin, which is not bad, because as a non-Christian, that'll drive you to the cross. And then that's when you could receive the forgiveness of your sins, okay? But how many guys would say, as bad as that earthquake was, starting your day off going straight into hell because of a lack of fear of God and your sins and what they rightly deserve is way worse? Okay, slightly, okay? And that's the problem, okay? So in order to help these people out, we're gonna continue, believe it or not, in our study, The Witness of Creation. And what we're doing is taking a look at the different evidences that God's left behind for us, showing us he's not just real, but we really can have a loving, beautiful, intimate, personal relationship with God He's just the creator of the universe, that's all. <laughs> Hello. It's exciting stuff, man. Hope it never gets old for you, okay? And, uh, but that's the message, okay? And he's shown us this many different ways, and we've seen the first way that he'd done that is through the intelligent design or an intelligent creation. The second evidence was the evidence of a young creation or young earth. We have not been here for millions and billions of years, and you're gonna see that even with dinosaurs, okay? The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. We did not come from an accidental blob. We came from the handiwork of God for a special relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And then the last 12 times we saw the evidence of a judge creation. Hello, God takes sin serious. That's what the flood was about. So serious that if you don't repent, he gives you time. He's not willing that you should perish. But if you don't want to listen, judgment day is coming. God judged this world once because of a worldwide flood. He's gonna do it again, so you might wanna pay attention. And so Don Russell, I started preaching on this topic once again tonight, so guess what? There's got to be more. That's right, Don, there's got to be more, and there is. 
The fifth topic we're going to talk about tonight, the final one on the evidence uh, of, of this amazing truth from God that we can have a relationship with him is the evidence of a fearful creation. We're going to spend the next several weeks, Lord willing, dealing with the truth about dinosaurs. Turn to somebody and say, oh, we've been lied to about dinosaurs too. Isn't that a shocker? It's like they got a 100% track record, okay? And believe it or not, folks, the words of Jesus Christ are not the only way that God's let us know that it's good to have a healthy fear of him. And let me distinguish before we get into that. The fear that I was talking about here is fear of going to hell, okay? That's the fear of judgment. That's for the non-Christian, right? You should be afraid of being thrown into hell, and it should drive you to the cross of Christ and receive his mercy instead. But for the Christian, we don't have that fear. We don't have fear because judgment's already been taken care of. We're not going to go to hell. You can't lose your salvation. Praise God you're going to heaven. Anybody rejoice in that? So the fear that we're talking about, we're even going to see this with Job tonight, is more of a disciplinary fear. It's kind of like when you get out of line and uh, it curbs your behavior when dad gives you that look. You ever get the dad look? However it is, Right? John can still do that. He does that at bowling. Creeps me out, but I still care about him. <laughs> anyway, even after that trip. But anyway, uh, no, okay. And so when dad, he didn't, he didn't discipline you yet, but it was the fear the, of the dad look that what? Curbed your behavior, right? So that's the fear we're talking about. And that's not a bad fear, right? Something that curbs your behavior from sinning and sin destroys and somebody and some methodology kept you from that, that's a good thing, right? Right? So it's not a bad thing. So I wanted to distinguish that, but that's what we're going to talk about. But when it comes to the healthy fear of God, believe it or not, uh, God gives us another way to demonstrate this goodness of having a healthy fear of him and through one of his most awesome, fearful creations, and that's the dinosaur, believe it or not. And that's what we're going to see, okay? But the problem is, once again, the live evolution has come along and says, no, 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 Christian, you got it all wrong. You're a big, giant dummy, Okay. You don't have 14 degrees, and your IQ is apparently way too low because we all know that uh, uh, God didn't create the dinosaurs just a few thousand years ago. Uh, everybody knows they died out 65 million years ago. Nobody's ever seen one. Really? Now, just because you got the power of the mass media doesn't make it right. Okay? And what we're going to see in our study, folks, is the only reason I'm convinced that people believe not just in evolution, but even evolution's version of dinosaurs is simply because of the old axiom. If you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, and you let the other half never come to the surface, the other side of the story, the creation account, the biblical account, then people believe it. And that's what they've done. They've got the power of the schools, they've got the power of the media, and that's all they keep cramming. In fact, they started when kids are this high, or even lower, if you're related to me, okay? <laughs> Right? You open up any kid's book on dinosaurs, what's the very, very, very first line? Millions of years ago. Really? So before you even talked about a dinosaur, you brainwashed them with the line of evolution. We have not been here for millions and millions of years, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. And what we're going to see is, listen to this, is God is the one who created the dinosaur, okay? Very clearly. And this is the problem. Evolution has a completely different story. People have been brainwashed, and so we're going to get God's uh, side out, okay? But you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Pastor Billy. If God really did create the dinosaurs right alongside with man, then you'd think that dinosaurs right out of the gates would be mentioned in the Bible because God mentions man in the Bible and creating man, right? Well, guess what? They are. In fact, they're mentioned in the Bible several different times. We're going to see that tonight. Now, before we get into that, you need to understand that the word dinosaur itself does not appear in the Bible, okay? 
And that's because uh, uh, it was a recently invented word in 1841 by Sir Richard Owens. Okay? And uh, so just as logically, you wouldn't expect to find the word dinosaur in the Bible, okay? Just like we wouldn't expect to find the recent created word like computer in the Bible, right? Or cell phone in the Bible or texting in the Bible, right? Those are recent words, okay? And back in 1841, when this word dinosaur was invented by Sir Richard Owen, okay, to describe these creatures that they find, okay, uh, the Bible is already established, so it's, it's not that the, you know, okay, you don't, you don't find the word, of course you're not going to find the word dinosaur. However, dinosaurs, if you read the Bible and don't read so fast that you skip over important parts, the Bible does mention dinosaur, okay, with certain words. It's very clear. And the first way that it does that is this word tonight, behemoth, okay? Behemoth, and believe it or not, I think that's what the scripture is talking about, but don't take my word for it. Let's do our homework. Let's take a look at this creature called behemoth and how the Bible describes it. And this is in the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 1 through 11, 15 through 19. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. How many guys would say Job's in trouble based on what you just saw, you biblical scholars? You, Yeah. Okay. And so what we're going to see in these passages, in this passage of Job, Job finally kind of, to use the vernacular, he started talking smack against God. How many guys would say that's not a good thing to do, right? How many guys ever tried to talk smack to your dad, and then you got some smack from your dad, right? Uh, but you didn't talk smack to your dad because you had a healthy fear of dad. See, that's Job's problem with God. He should have just trusted God. God knows what he's doing. He never makes a mistake, right? But Job's starting to crack a little with all the suffering he's going through. God, what? And so God is going to use several different creatures as an object lesson to tell Job, Job, listen, if you fear these creatures, and rightly so, how come you, you don't fear me? I made them. Okay, so that's the theme of what we're going. So this is like a disciplinary fear. Okay, then Job answered the Lord, uh, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I, I put my hand over my mouth. In the Hebrew, that means shut up a kiss. Yeah, obviously that's a joke. Okay, no, he, whoa, okay, right? I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I'm not going to say no more. God's just getting fired up, okay? And he starts asking these questions, right? You ever have your dad do that when you get in big, you know you're in big trouble when he starts giving you that lecture? Where were you when I built this house? You know, who paid for those clothes? Who paid for this? I bought that and you did this. How do you do it? And at that time, you just sit there and melt and wait for the spanking, right? Okay, and that's what God's doing with Job, okay? So he starts asking a bunch of questions, okay? And then the Lord, he said, spoke to the Job out of the storm. He says, brace yourself like a man. I'm gonna question you and you're gonna answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Job, how dare you act like I don't know what I'm doing? Excuse me? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself, Job, with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man, Job. Bring him low. Right? Mr. Big Britches. And then here comes the example. Look at Behemoth. Right? which I made, what? Along with you. That means he coexisted with Job. And which feeds on grass like an ox. What loins he has, uh, strength he has in his loins, what uh, a power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar. What's that? It's a tree, okay? A tree, 
The sinews of his thighs are close-knit. His bones are like tubes of bronze. His limbs are rods of iron. He ranks first among the works of God, and yet his master, God, can approach him with his sword. Okay? So this is the first example. We're going to see several ones. It's all the same object lesson. God now starts uh, with this creature to give Job an object lesson of a healthy dose of fear. Okay, and he brings up this creature, behemoth. Okay, and so in the context, again, Job's questioning God. So God says, excuse me. Whoa, you're out of whack here, bud. Let's talk about this behemoth thing, right? And he begins to describe it, okay? And he says, hey, Job, uh, you know this creature. I made it right alongside with you, right? Huge, massive thing, and he goes in all that description. Uh, you you got to fear that thing, right? Everybody's got to fear a behemoth. Job, why don't you fear me? You wouldn't talk smack to that animal. But you're talking smack to me and acting like I don't know what I'm doing? Okay, who in the world are you, Job, to talk back to God? Okay, and, and, and but secondly, we know this creature, folks, is a dinosaur when you begin to do the homework and you tear it apart. It's clearly a dinosaur, so let's just do that, okay? First of all, the word behemoth here in the Hebrew simply means kingly or literally gigantic, colossal beast, okay? Now, some people would say that this word behemoth is referring to a hippopotamus or an elephant, okay? You'll see that, actually see that in some notes down there in certain translations. I think it's unfortunate, okay? As you can see here with uh, Tom's cousin Bobo, Thank you, Tom. Uh, this is absurd, okay? Take a look at the text. First of all, the text says Behemoth has awesome strength in his loins and an amazing power in his belly. In other words, the belly is one of the biggest parts on his body, right? According to the text, right? So granted, hippos, I'll give you that. It's got a pretty big belly, right? Okay, and uh, elephant's got a pretty big belly. And if you start eating chicken, you're gonna end up with a big belly like this guy, right? It's gonna swell up in you. How many times have I gotta warn you? Okay, but anyway, so that's a big belly, right? But uh, uh, I think the one that's mentioned here is even bigger. And it's clearly, as you're going to see in the context, uh, something along the lines of what you're seeing here, a brachiosaurus. And that's because if you keep reading the next verse, you're going to see it says, again, his tail sways like a what? A cedar. That's a tree. That means his tail is so big. That baby sways just like a cedar tree. And cedar trees, folks, are not these little decorative trees. They're huge. That's the guy at the bottom there. See him? Down for size. Cedar trees are big. Okay, it's not a small tree. And here's the problem. Have you ever seen the tails, though, of an elephant or a hippo? They're not the size of trees. Let's take a look at that. Ooh, doesn't that scare you? Look at the size of that tail, Ruth. Oh, sways like a cedar tree. Oh, I know, maybe hippo. Oh, man, that's the hoof strike the fear of God in you. Tail, hippo. No, it's not like a cedar tree. But how about this one? That's a cedar tree. That'll scare you. If that started whooping around you, how many guys would whoop it that way, <laughs> right? Okay, and that's what we're going on. But it's obvious the tail of the Brachiosaurus foots the bill, not an elephant, not a hippo. It's impossible. That's ridiculous with all due respect, okay? But let's keep going. The very next verse says, his bones are like tubes of bronze. His limbs are like rods of iron. You're not gonna snap these babies. In other words, okay, have, uh, have at all you want. In other words, behemoth is such a serious, heavy-duty bone creature. I mean, massive, okay? And by the way, uh, the brachiosaurus did. That's the girl there standing next to a leg bone. Huge, massive bones. You're not going to crack that over your leg. You'll crack your leg, okay? This thing's like iron, man. Huge, massive thing. In fact, the footprints were so big, you could take a bath in them. That's a kid actually doing just that, okay? As you can see there. And that's his toe bone, his toe. 
That's how big his toe was. Huge, massive creature. Which means just the front leg was 20 feet tall, which means put them all together, he's as tall as a five-story building. Five-story building. This creature comes up to you. That creature comes up to you with that instill a little fear. Right? Five-story building creature comes up to you. You'd be afraid. And again, what's the, what's the context here? Job, you're afraid of this five-story building creature, and rightly so. And you're talking smack to me and I made that thing? Something's out of whack here. Okay, he's using dinosaurs to teach Job a lesson. Now, in fact, one of the biggest ones I've ever found was 150 feet long, weighed 100 tons, which is equal to about 14 school buses put together, which is why one guy said, hey, if this guy were to come by and step on you, you'd be deeply impressed. Like this guy, as you can see here, but he's got a good attitude about it as you can tell there. Uh, but anyway, so finally the description, let's keep going. He says he ranks first among the works of God. So this suggests, according to the text, that Behemoth was one of the largest, if not the largest uh, land animal that God ever made. And again, that fits the Brachiosaurus, obviously. Not an elephant, not a hippo. They're big compared to us, but they're not the biggest. All right? So again, uh, those descriptions do not fit, but a Brachiosaurus does. So it's clear that you deal with it. Listen, listen. Remove the scales of the live evolution, including the live evolution's version of dinosaurs. Let the Bible speak for itself. A kid's going to get the fact that this is talking about a dinosaur. The only reason why we would hesitate, the only reason why anybody would not even think twice about it is because of what? You repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough. We, even as Christians, have had it brainwashed in our heads. Oh no, dinosaurs, millions of years ago, nobody's ever seen one live. And that's not what God says. And God doesn't lie. So let's put all this together. We're dealing with a dinosaur. Let's take a look at that passage again, Job 40, with Behemoth, except with the correct creature behind it. Okay? And let's reread it correctly, I would say. Let's take a look. Behold now, Behemoth, which I made along with you. Behold his strength in his loins and the power in his stomach muscles. His tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is a prime example of God's amazing handiwork. Only his creator can threaten him. The hills bring him their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plants he lies down, in the covert of the reeds and the marsh. The lotus plants cover him with shade, the willows of the brook surround him. When the river rages, he is not alarmed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth. 
Can anyone catch him off guard? Or can anyone trap him and pierce his nose with snares and lead him away? Wow, kind of brings the passage alive, doesn't it? Interesting. How many guys would say if that thing showed up in your front yard and was munching on your tree, you kind of close the door? In here, okay, is what's going on, okay? It would strike fear. And again, watch God bring this up. Why is he bringing up this dinosaur? Job, that thing's massive. It's the cheapest thing I've made. You're scared of that, and rightly so. Why are you talking back to me? You need a healthy sense of fear, a disciplinary fear, okay? I'm giving you the dad lecture, right? But God uses more than one dinosaur to teach Job this lesson. It's really cool. The second way the Bible mentions dinosaurs, again, not the word dinosaur, but clearly mentions dinosaurs, is now the next one, and that is the word Leviathan. The word Leviathan, okay? Just like now we just saw a giant land animal probably also living in some swamps, but primarily on the land, dinosaur that God used with behemoth. Now we're going to see that God uses a massive sea-dwelling dinosaur to teach Job the exact same lesson. You're afraid of this guy on land in the swamp, and you're afraid of this guy in the sea. Why aren't you afraid of me? Let's take a look uh, at that passage. This is the next chapter, Job 41, still in the context, right? Verse 1 through 10, 14, 19 through 20, 26 through 29, 33, hike. You get his football season, right? Uh, can you pull in? Here he goes. He's going right. I remember he's still doing the lecture, right? Where were you when I built this house? Who bought those clothes for you, right? Uh, can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook, Job, or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord to his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Oh, stop, Job, stop, right? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for life? Uh, can you make a pet out of this guy, like a bird, tweet, tweet, or, you know, put him on a leash for your girls? Hey, girls, here's a pet. Look what I brought home, right? Would, would traders barter for him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can, can you fill his hide? Listen, can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Uh, if you lay a hand on him, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Okay, so the last thing you want to do is mess with this guy. Any hope of subduing him is false. The mere sight of him is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able, Job, to stand up against me? Job, what are you doing? Talking, what are you, what are you doing acting like I don't know what I'm doing? Right? How are you, why are you doing this? Who dares open the doors of his mouth? Leviathan, ringed about with his fearsome teeth. L listen to this. Firebrands stream from his mouth, sparks of fire shoot out. What? Fire-breathing dragons? Dinosaurs? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Smoke pours out from his nostrils as from a boiling pot over a fire of reeds, and his breath sets coals ablaze, and, and, and flames dart from his mouth. Uh, the sword that reaches him has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron he treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows don't make this guy flee. Sling stones are like chaff to him. A club seems to him like a piece of straw. Uh, he, can you imagine trying to... I'm going to take you down, Ryan. Bring it on, buddy. I got a straw right here. You're going down. What would you do? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. And so he's, he's like, excuse me? Wait, nothing. Get out of you little flea, right? is what's going on with this guy. Nothing you do, man. He laughs at the rattling of the lance. Nothing on earth is his equal. He's a what? Creature without 
fear. Again, the lesson that God is trying to teach Job. In other words, Job, once again, same thing with Behemoth, I'm giving you round two. When your dad's disciplining you, does he ever repeat himself? Like how many times, you could have said that in one way, but you're now doing 18 different angles, right? God's doing the same thing, okay? He's giving you another lesson. So now he's the same thing with Behemoth. Now he's saying, Job, if you got a massive giant fear of this giant creature in the sea, why don't you have a fear of me? Why isn't there enough healthy fear of you to keep, that will keep your mouth shut from smacking, talking smack about me? Like, I don't know what I'm doing, okay? It's the same lesson with Behemoth. But again, just like with Behemoth, once you do the homework, you're going to see that this creature too is a dinosaur, except it's clearly in the sea. Let's take a look at that evidence. First of all, many people believe that the Leviathan mentioned here is clearly speaking about a sea-dwelling uh, kind of dinosaur like a chronosaur. How many guys would like to catch that on your hook there? Okay, big old guy. Some would say maybe it's a mosasaur, okay, and depictions here of them. Others would say it's referring to a sarcosticus imperator or an 82-foot-long lepleurodon. Either way, you're clearly dealing with a massive dinosaur-like creature in the sea. Now, the reason why is because all these sea-dwelling dinosaurs were not only ferocious, but they were extremely long, and every single one of them had tons of teeth, exactly what's being mentioned here uh, in Job. And yet, some people, just like with Behemoth, they just, they just can't believe that. Uh, they would say that Leviathan is simply referring to some kind of natural creature like a crocodile or a fish, right? Uh, surely that couldn't be a Brachiosaurus, right? No, that's impossible, because we all know evolution's true, and... Uh, so it's got to be a hippo or an eponymous. Mm -mm. Same thing with Leviathan. They said, no, no, it can't be a giant, you know, Mosasaur. <laughs> Come on. It's a crocodile. No, it's a fish. Really? Let's do the homework. Uh, first of all, it's ludicrous when you look at the text because, first of all, the text said Leviathan was one of the greatest creatures of the sea is the key word there. The crocodile's normal habitat is not in the sea, normal habitat, but in rivers and lakes. Yes, a few have been known to venture into the sea, but their primary habitat is not in the sea, but in fresh waters. That's contrary to what Job says. This critter spends his life in the sea. Furthermore, the text said it was useless to try to even catch this Leviathan with hooks, harpoons, anything else, okay? And it had an immense size, strong jaws, terrifying teeth, super fast swimming ability, and was protected uh, on the back and the underside, and therefore, quote, nothing on earth was its equal. It was a creature without fear. Now, here's the problem. You put all that together, all right? Crocodiles are not so fearful that nobody tries to take them on. This guy's actually playing with this guy. Again, something to do on a Saturday afternoon, apparently, right? But he, Job said, this creature, you don't even want, don't, don't even try to touch it. That's not true of crocodiles, okay? It can't be a crocodile. In fact, crocodiles are trapped and killed all the time. Sometimes they're even killed with simple natives uh, and simple technology, you know, like harpoons, spears, which Job says won't even hurt this guy. He laughs at you, like me going after Ryan with a straw, right? Okay, but a crocodile, you can penetrate its hide with these things, okay? And rather, Leviathan was a creature without fear because it was one of the most awesome, fearful, sea-dwelling dinosaurs ever to swim the seas, like a chronosaur or a mosasaur or the other ones mentioned there, okay? And, uh, but as you can see here, possibly, okay, some would actually say that what you're speaking about here is, uh, they would say, okay, well, fine, maybe it's not a crocodile. I'll give you that one, okay? Uh, but we know that this can't be a true uh, creature, certainly not a dinosaur, because it mentions how this guy, Leviathan, shoots fire out of its mouth. Remember I pointed that out to you in the passage there? Okay, so let's take a look 
at uh, what that says. However, it just so happens that uh, seed-dwelling dinosaurs, like the Mosasaur, okay, the Mosasaur, had this amazing ability, which totally blows this theory out of the water, okay? Dinosaurs did have the ability to do a chemical reaction, okay, that could shoot out combustibles, right? There are still creatures that God made today that does that. We saw that before in the intelligent design study. Remember that? It's called the bombardier beetle. It has these different chambers that at the right time can mix together, and it uses that combustion to actually take against its predators. These guys have the same capability. Let's take a look at that proof. Look at this fellow. Tell us this about this. This is a Tylosaurus. It's a field named Bunker because Professor Bunker from the University of Kansas found this in the Niobrara chalk formations up near Hayes, Kansas. Uh, this is the largest in this particular Mosasaur. It's species named Tylosaurus. This guy is a marine reptile. Yes. Completely marine. But we find dozens of them in the state of Kansas. Again. Now, it was how underwater. many realize there's no beachfront in Kansas? To me, this is an incredible evidence that there was a global flood, not just yes. water. It was a catastrophic, earthquaking, Absolutely. violent thing, near nuclear. And it buried these guys and fossilized them all over the place. Now, in order to catch this fellow, it would have to be a, a very uh, voluminous, tremendous flood because how long did you say this well, fellow this was? this whole animal is about 42 feet long. 42 feet long. We have the entire animal in our collection. We just couldn't get it here today. Uh, the head will get the job done. The head is six foot long. This was a monster and could have been in the kinds of animals mentioned in Job 41 called Leviathan. Yes. Um, there's a phenomenon there. Category. In some of these okay. animals, they have huge cavities in their skulls surrounded by incredibly two and a half to three and a half inch bony plate. They could have contained spatial chemicals, Dr. Ball, similar to the bombardier beetle today that could have been mixed and then exploded through their nostrils in a very hot gaseous form so that we have justification, believable qualification for the fact that there were animals, still are, that can mix chemicals, explode them at the boiling point of water. So much for being a myth. Even that passage in the scripture uh, is possible. That you have a creature that actually could shoot uh, flames out of its mouth, okay? So again, once again, Leviathan, what's the, what's the message here? Just like with Behemoth, this guy's freaky. How many guys would say if you caught, actually somehow caught that creature in a boat and it somehow did stay on your hook? But as soon as its head came out, fire started coming out, you kind of scream and run and hide and put the boat in reverse and go to Jim Jubinville's house, hide in the closet and scream. Jim, would you allow that for us to do that? Thank you for that ministry, right? <laughs> Whoa, right? That would be fearful, right? So what's the lesson? Joe, this is a freaky creature, man. This thing's scary. Even has fire coming out. You're afraid of that. Why aren't you afraid of me? That you would actually say this. I watch, I see everything, hello. Okay, that's the lesson that's going on here. The third way the Bible mentions uh, dinosaurs, again, not the word dinosaur, but does mention dinosaurs, uh, is the word wild ox. Okay, wild ox. This also is, again, in the context of Job. So let's go back left, if you will, to chapter 39. And let's take a look at this example. Job chapter 39, verse 9 through 12 says this. Will the wild ox consent to serve you, Job? You can still hear the lecture, can't you? Right? Okay, will, will he stay by your manger at night, you know, a little puppy dog? 
right? Can you hold him to the furrow with a harness, Job? Will he, will he till the valleys behind you? You're going you're gonna to put this harness on this guy and plow your field with him, huh? huh? This, this ox, right? Uh, will you rely on him for his great strength? And will you leave him, uh, uh, your heavy work to him? Can you, can you trust him to bring in your grain and, and gather in your flesh, uh, threshing floor, right? Again, God is using uh, the same lecture thing, okay? But again, once again, God is using now a third animal in the context to teach Job, you should have a healthy fear of God. And he does it with this animal called wild ox in most of your translations there. And once again, if you look at the context, you're clearly dealing with another dinosaur, okay? And that's when you start to break down a couple things. Uh, the Hebrew word here, first of all, is ra'im, okay? And a quick look at this word reveals this is not a wild ox. There's no way this is a wild ox. Once again, evolution is confusing, even I would say the translators, okay? So let's take a look at some of that evidence. First of all, the Hebrew word here, again, re'im, sometimes translated as a one-horned animal, and this is why you'll actually see some of your translations uh, use the word unicorn, which me personally, I kind of think is unfortunate because this is uh, an example of how these skeptics will scoff at the Bible. Oh, see, the Bible teaches about unicorns. You expect me to believe no, it's just an unfortunate translation. The Hebrew word there, re'im, is actually, most people believe, is talking about a two-horned animal, okay? And that's why they're translated as a wild ox, because a wild ox has two horns, okay? That's why they would translate that. But if you do the homework on this Hebrew word, contextually, uh, there's more going on. Thanks to a recent discovery, ancient records have revealed that this Hebrew word re'im did refer to a creature that was hunted like a wild ox, Right? But it was not a wild ox. The depiction, uh, according to these ancient texts, are dealing with something much more different than a wild ox. The Hebrew word in these ancient records referred to an animal. The, the, the pictograph is an animal head with three horns. Okay? When you do that, and this is a recent discovery. So a lot of people, believe it or not, believe that this is dealing contextually with another kind of dinosaur. Right? The other two were dinosaur. This one's a dinosaur, and they're thinking it's more along the signs of a, a ceratops and a triceratops, three horns, right? Okay, and again, if you think that's a, a stretch, this is how we're supposed to interpret the scripture. Uh, you don't take an isolated passage, you deal with things in its context. And we already saw in chapter 40 and chapter 41, you're clearly contextually dealing with dinosaurs, right? This is chapter 39 right before. So why wouldn't this be talking about a dinosaur? Is it really out of place? I don't think so. Okay, it fits the context. Behemoth and Leviathan were used to teach Job a lesson about fear, so why wouldn't God be doing the same thing with a three-horned dinosaur? Okay, uh, it fits the chapter, okay? And begin, besides, again, you know you're dealing with something different than a wild ox because the creature says, this creature will not serve Job. Will not serve Job. It won't stay with Job. And it specifically mentioned this. It will not submit to being stuck behind a plow with Job, Right? Put this to the test, folks. Uh, uh, that's not true with the wild ox. You might start out wild, but they get tamed, and they get tamed to do what? Pull a plow. So it can't be a wild ox, okay? And so the creature, it says, has great strength. It's not going to do anything Job wants it to do. It's not afraid of Job. And again, that's the same lesson contextually that Job needs to learn. So if you're naturally afraid of this creature, Job, why aren't you afraid of God? How many guys would say, if you are out in your field, or Orson's out there working on his tomatoes. He hasn't given up. Give it up for Orson. He's tomato master, right? So he's out there. He's working on his next crop of tomatoes. You know what I'm saying? He's planting it, getting ready to, am I going to plow this baby? He's out there with his rototiller. And that thing shows up. 
How many guys would say that Orson would probably start praying like that guy? Right? Because that creature instills fear. Right? Fear. Right? And it fits the context. However, the word re'im mentioned here uh, is speaking about uh, sometimes someone would say a, a one-horned creature. It still fits. You know, they say, well, no, no, you know, that, you can't trust that pictograph. Right? It's, it's still a one-horned creature. Well, even if you uh, said that, it still fits the context of a dinosaur if you do your homework. Okay, another dinosaur in the same family as the ceratopsis of the triceratops has only one horn. Here's a depiction of it. It's called the monoclonus. Okay, and just like a triceratops, except it's just got what? One horn. So whether this thing had one horn or three horns and it showed up at Orson's tomato patch, how many guys would say it's still and still fear? Okay, same thing. And keep doing your homework. Another dinosaur of the same family has two horns. Okay, it's called the Alberta ceratops. Okay, so the point is one horn, two horns, three horns, it, it doesn't matter. Okay, contextually, either way, all possibilities of the same family of dinosaurs can still fit this creature called Raim. Okay, is clearly what's going on here. Okay, so again, what's the context? God is using specifically now 39, chapter 39, chapter 40, chapter 41, three different, the Bible doesn't mention dinosaurs because that didn't come until 1841, but you look at this, take off the scales of evolution, God is using three awesome, fearful creatures, dinosaurs, three different kinds of dinosaurs that he made alongside with Job to teach him a lesson about fear. Okay, you fear these guys, why don't you fear me? The fourth one that the Bible mentions, a lot of people believe, dinosaurs, is now the fourth category, okay? Because do you know that dinosaurs did fly, right? And we have some interesting things going on in the scripture. Remember, God created all animals, including the dinosaurs. And that is with the next word that we're going to see is the word flying serpent, okay? Specifically, fiery flying serpent. Now, again, how many guys are bird lovers? All two of you. Okay, I guess it used to be popular back in the day. But anyway, uh, how many guys have a hummingbird thing, right? We, we got the neighbors got this tree, man, these little things, and we're out there like in the backyard, and it's kind of cool watching them, these little, little tiny birds, and I, I associate with them very well. But uh, uh, so they're out there, right? And, but, and it's cool watching them, they stick their little thing, and they're, right? And so, but how many guys that you're out there, and you're watching these hummingbirds, and you're relaxing, and you got, you know, you just, uh, Saturday afternoon or morning or whatever, and you're just chilling, and you watch this little bird, and the next thing you know, <laughs> that flies up. And then it just took the top off the tree. How many guys would they say that's kind of scary? And you go back in the house, you call Jim Jubinville, please pick me up, can I use your closet again? Right? The Bible mentions this. This is just one passage, okay? There's more than one, but let's take a look at that. And this is in Isaiah, very interesting passage. Uh, chapter 30, verse 6 says this, an oracle on the beasts of the Negev, okay? Through a land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder, and the flying fiery serpent. Notice he already mentioned the adder, a snake, and then he mentions another creature, right? And it's not just a serpent, it's not just a flying serpent, it's a flying fiery serpent. Say that five times real fast. Yeah, I'm not even going to try, okay? But anyway, but again, so now we're seeing what a lot of people say uh, would be another dinosaur. And that's because when you break it down and start doing your homework, you might be seeing something along the lines of a pterosaur, okay? And so let's begin to take a look at that example. First of all, it just so happens, this is wild, that Isaiah's mentioning of this flying fiery serpent in the Negev, which is near Egypt, just so happens to fit with the current archaeological evidence, guess what they find there? 
the remains of a large population of pterosaur. Hmm. Interesting. So they find their carcasses there in the same area that Isaiah is talking about, number one. Number two, it also happens to fit with other classical authors who describe in their writings outside the Bible that uh, you got population of these things in the area, in Egypt and around that area in Arabia. For instance, Jewish uh, historian Josephus, he shares in his writings how Moses, while living in Pharaoh's court, led an Egyptian army. Now, this is extra biblical. It's not in the Bible, but this is from Josephus. If you're not familiar, he's a Jewish historian contemporary of the time of Jesus' first coming. Okay, but uh, he led an Egyptian army against Nubia, and here's what they encountered. So obviously, this would be before he fled into the desert, right? Quote, Moses took and led his army before those enemies, but the area was difficult to be passed over because the multitude of serpents, which other countries do not breed. So specific to that area. Then he says this, and yet such as are worse than others in power and mischief and an unusual fierceness of sight, <clears throat> some of which ascend out of the ground unseen and what? Fly in the air. And so come upon men at unawares and do them a mischief. Okay? So again, based on the context, uh, could a pterosaur have been this flying mischief that even Josephus mentions outside the Bible? They find the remains in the same area. Right? Remember, dinosaur wasn't invented, the word, until 1841. What else are you going to call them? Right? That's what was used at the day. Another classical author that talks about the same thing is Pliny, Roman. He talks about how these serpents could fly as they, he marched to fight against Taraka, king of Egypt and Nubia. So he mentions him in his writings in the same area. Right? Okay? And so the question is, well, wait a second. Why is it not just a flying serpent? It's a fiery flying serpent. Okay? Some would say, I've read some reports, they say, well, that's referring to its bite. But again, this is still kind of thinking you're dealing with a snake creature, which I don't think you are, right? You know, it bites, oh, it's burning in my veins, right? Says, no, I don't think that's the fire it's talking about, okay? Rather, it just so happens to fit modern-day descriptions, uh, reports from New Guinea as one place, uh, that say there's still a large colony of pterosaurs still alive, okay, and harass people even today, just like Josephus said they did back in the day. Okay, and get this, some of them, according to these reports, take it for what you will, that these creatures also have a bioluminescent quality, like a firefly. You ever seen those? And all of a sudden, it's just at night, what's it look like? Hey, it looks like it's on fire, the little bottom portion of it. They're saying these reports are not just like these flying serpents, but they're bioluminescent. So when they would fly at night, guess what they look like? Not just a flying serpent, a fiery flying serpent. Okay, but that's right, don't take my word for it. Here's an actual interview of a guy who lives there. Now, they don't call them pterosaurs. They probably don't have a TV. They can't watch National Geographic, and they've never been to American schools to be taught about evolution. The word that they use is called ropen. Watch what he says he encountered. Maybe 10 years ago. Oh, 10 years ago. Okay. You, you told them about when you went up to the mountain where there was a, a lake or a big a lot of water. All right. Do you notice, um, did, it, did it have wings? Yeah. It had wings, okay. Uh, about how large were the wings? Like if the wings were uh, spread out, uh, about how long were the wings? Uh, but I'm big, uh, seven meters. Seven meters, okay. Like, so you didn't see any of the head very well? Did you see the, the, the mouth or the beak? Uh, very well. Oh, no, no. It's not 
Like a crocodile? Like a crocodile. Okay. Yeah. So just one came down to the lake. So only one. Only one. Okay. And then did you leave as soon as you saw the roping? Did you leave or did you hide in the bush or what happened? What did you do? When we saw it, came back home. Came back home? Very frightened. Okay. How many guys would say you go back home too? And call Jim Jubinville a third time. Now put together what this guy said. This guy lives there. Okay. And again, he hasn't been brainwashed. Repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, long enough. He's just reporting what he saw. Okay. In the New Guinea. And uh, but how many guys you put this together? How many guys would say that a twenty-two foot long creature flying in the air? that specifically had a head like a crocodile, remember he said that, would kind of scare you. And believe it or not, there is a dinosaur, a flying dinosaur, that looks just like that. And here's the picture of it. 22 feet long and has a head like a what? Crocodile. This is why I would keep my wiener dogs inside the house. Okay, I don't want them to be a Scooby snack. Okay, but that's a pterosaur. Okay, the same kind of animals that were mentioned in Isaiah, many believe, and Josephus, and other writers as well, okay? But again, what you're seeing contextually, four different times. Yes, of course, the Bible doesn't mention dinosaurs, the word. But if you don't read through these too fast, take your time, remove the lies, the scales of evolution, and be honest with the text, guess what? The Bible does talk about dinosaurs. Not just once, not just twice, not just three, but possibly four different times. Okay, and some would say even more than that. <clears throat> but if you put all this together, that's the starting point. Okay, wait a second. If God really did create the dinosaurs, like the Bible says, okay, uh, then does that mean that God also really did create the dinosaurs right along with man, i.e. that man and dinosaurs actually coexisted together? Yeah. In fact, we got the hard proof for it, but Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. 
Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon 
out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.